Hello, everyone. Welcome to Turning Tides. I'm your host, Joseph Pascone. I'm thrilled to introduce this special surprise interview with you all. The following interview is with my grandfather, Lawrence Pascone. He is going on the age of 90, and he's been a worker with the Teamsters organization for years. A little background on his early life. He was raised in Red Hook, Brooklyn, uh, by my great-grandfather, who had 13 children, 12 boys, one girl. Most of the boys became police officers, but my grandfather, who was cursed with bad eyesight, which I inherited, was deemed medically unfit. As a result, he ended up taking the tests and passing to become a garbage man in New York City. The following interview details his work-life experiences, both at home, uh, with family, with friends, with co-workers, with bosses, and with the wider world around us. One thing you'll notice about this interview is that my grandfather is a hardcore conservative. This fact did not diminish from his belief that working people have basic intrinsic rights, which should and must be defended. With that in mind, it's important for me to say this. Me and my grandfather do not agree about most things. That being said, we agree about union rights. We agree that unions should be defended. We believe that working people have the same intrinsic rights and values, and that the first step to adequately maintain them is to provide sufficient union representation in all forms of work. In summation, my grandfather is far from the communist or the socialist that many union members are skewed as. I hope you bear that in mind and you understand the place he's coming from and the time he's coming from. The majority of his work life was spent in the 1960s and 1970s, where Republicans were actively courting the white working class through several initiatives, which culminated in OSHA. This helps explain at least part of his worldview. And just one more note before we enter the interview section of this podcast. Uh, this was recorded in my grandfather's living room or, or kitchen. Um, there's a fan going in the background. It was in the middle of September when this was recorded. So just bear that in mind. In summation, I hope you enjoy the unique world perspective of my grandfather. Stay tuned in the future for more content like this. Thank you all again for tuning in. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Turning Tides podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Pascone. Today we have a very, very special episode. It's our first interview. It's with the person who probably got me first interested in the American labor movement. This man is a father, a grandfather, uh, a union member, and someone who's near and dear to me. This is my grandfather, Lawrence Pascone. God bless you, baby. So maybe you could start by just giving us a little bit of your background. Where did you, how did you start work? How old were you exactly when 
Well, years ago, I wasn't good in school. So the teacher kept me in the same class for five years. So my father says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. She loves you. You're going you're gonna to go places with this teacher. She wouldn't let me go. Every year she kept me in the same class. When I was 17 and all the kids were six, I could take anybody in the class. I says, I want to stay in this class. I, I'm the leader here. I didn't know that I was being left back. So how, how would that, um, how does that relate with uh, your, your working experience? So well, I had to get, I could, I had to get out of school early. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I always had bad eyes and a hundred years ago, they, my height was considered tall. Mm -hmm. Not today, but years ago, I was considered tall. So you had to go in the back of the class because you were taller than all the other kids. They didn't realize is that I had bad eyes and I couldn't see the board. Oh. So whatever the teacher wrote, I says, I can't see it, so if don't worry. She says, don't worry about it. Just sit down and keep quiet. I says, all right, I will. And I did sit down and keep quiet. Not realizing that the kid needs help, you know. He, he's got a problem. He's 20 or 30 feet from the board and you're writing something small. How am I supposed to answer that if I can't see it? Mm -hmm. It's all that simple. And well, Teachers what? should be in a position to understand. Yeah. There's no such thing as a dumb child. The child might be a touch slow compared to everybody else, but if he gets a little push mm -hmm. past that first hump in the road, he can be successful. But years ago, they didn't worry about you being successful. They didn't want to be bothered with you. Because if they wanted you to stay after school, they had to volunteer their time. They didn't get paid for that. Mm -hmm. So most teachers had to move on with their life, so they just kept promoting you. I went all the way to high school. They were ready to put me in college. I still couldn't read and write. Wow. How the hell am I going to do college work? Just keep quiet and sit there and don't make a nuisance out of yourself. I was in charge of the erasers. Every time there was a test, the teacher would give me the erasers. Go out in the yard and clean the erasers. And I used to do this. I said, geez, I know how to do this. I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I'll get a job cleaning the erasers. I know how to do it. You don't have to write nothing. Mm -hmm. The teachers didn't realize that this kid needs a little bit of a push, just a little bit of a push. Mm -hmm. Who knows, maybe I could have been a doctor or a lawyer or, so, or maybe a school teacher. Mm. And how old were you when you, when you first uh, uh, joined? Well, years ago, you had, to, you had to go to kindergarten when you were five. Uh -huh. So my mother took me to, to the teacher and I says, I'm not staying. I'm not this, I'm not going to stay with this lady. I, she ain't going to tell me shit. Following this first section of interview, we shift gears and start to talk about his early work life. Is that the first thing you, you started working in, is the, the shipping industry on the on the No, docks? the first thing I did when my mother, when, uh, when the summer was came, my mother says, go get a job. Maybe I was 10 years old, so I walked down by the factories 
I walked down by the factories and I was going and ringing a bell and I told him, like, you need help? He says, yeah, come on in. Mm -hmm. Take the broom over there and sweep, sweep everything and get the soda and fill the soda machine up and don't let me catch you taking a soda for free. So I was ashamed. I wouldn't take a soda for free anyway. I don't want the guy to holler at me. I get fired. Yeah. So my mother says, you know, you're spending the whole summer. You don't go to the beach with the kids. He's only giving you 30 cents an hour. It ain't white, it. You spend the whole week there. You come home with a dollar and a quarter. Don't go there no more. So my mother, I says, yes, at least she has shown a little bit of sympathy for me because... You know, we had a lot of kids, and your mother didn't have much time to spend with each individual kids. We had a lot of kids, and yeah. we were poor, and my father had to try to get a job. And uh, so so your first time working, was it I easy the, to adjust? I or? worked in the factory with the broom. I swept the floor. Yeah. Was it an easy experience for you, or did you find that it was... No, no, it was terrible. It you didn't was like miserable. It. Yeah. I hated it. I knew I couldn't work inside. I got to be outside. Mm -hmm. I, I got to be in the air. I can't do nothing in the, in the inside. Is that what attracted you to like the pier and then to, to garbage so collection? My sister, my sister used to work for Continental Casualty. That was a, one of the biggest companies in the world years ago. So my sister says, I could get you a job here. Mm -hmm. You could work in the mail room. So my sister brought me home an application because I didn't have to fill out an application. Mm -hmm. So she filled it out for me and she says, when you go back to the office, they hand you an application. When the guy's not looking, fold it up, put it in your pocket and take this application out. And I, I passed by, I passed. I said, Jesus Christ, they're gonna give me a job. They says, how about 150 to start a month? I says, Mink, maybe, what am I going to do with all that money? 150 a month? Maybe I'll buy a car, maybe I'll buy a boat. I, I, I'll be rich. That was my a father, lot of money back then. My father never seen that kind of money. Wow. Mm. And this was in the mail room? In the mail room. Mm. Is this where you first heard of uh, like organized labor unions? Well, I was, I was uh, 15 or 16 because I quit school. And every week I had to go and sign in because I was too young to work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. every week they gave me a, a two hours off, go sign in downtown and say, all right, I'm working, I'm working, I'm getting 150 a month. Wow. That was pretty good money. Yeah, especially back then for a 15-year-old who just dropped out of high school. So when I got my first money, I said, what am I going to do with all that money? So my mother says, give me the money, and she gave me a quarter. I says, Jesus, Mom, I worked all week. I had to take the train. I, I was scared of going on the train, straight people. For a quarter? She says, well, we got to pay the bills and put food on the table. So when, uh, when the boss, the boss was Italian boss, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we didn't like each other. Aww. So right away I knew I was in trouble because it was Friday and every he calls you one at a time in the office and gives you a paycheck, a little envelope like this. Uh -huh. 
And when it came to my turn, he says, I don't have your envelope, go upstairs. I says, how come I gotta go upstairs? Larry Campbell, I'll never forget his name. If I found out where he lived, I was gonna kill him. I didn't know I got fired. So I had to go upstairs in the office. I, they said, what are you doing here? I says, Larry Campbell told me to come up here and get my check. He, he didn't tell you you got fired, no. Wow. He didn't tell me nothing. Wow, so you were taken advantage of by management and your family. Uh, how about fellow workers? Did you find yourself taken advantage of by... Well, the truth of the matter is everything I did came back. Because you gotta be a good reader. I wasn't a good reader. So I would just put anything down, send it out. Send it out, I gotta keep this job. I'll put anything, send it out. I should have put somebody else's name on there. And then I wouldn't have got fired. They would have, but I got fired. I told my sister I got fired. I was so, I was so disappointed. I wanna do good, you know. I want to do good. I want to be somebody. So I got fired. But at lunchtime, I worked with a guy called Elio. And we used to, in New York, if you go out at lunchtime, there's five million girls. So I says, we're going to go out at lunchtime and stand there and look at all the beautiful girls, you know, going by. So he says to me, I want to make a bet with you. I'll bet you five dollars that you can't sell a five dollar bill for one dollar i says i could win that bet there's nine million people in new york so i went outside and i said excuse me i got five dollars would you give me a dollar for it please everybody says get out of here and i didn't i didn't win the bet i had to give them five dollars uh, nobody would give me a dollar for five dollars that's so strange nobody Weird. They would look at it and say, get out, this is no good. Yeah, they must have thought it was counterfeit. It was, it was else, why good, it was good. Wow. I had to pay the guy Elio five dollars, I wanted to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you first hear about, um, you know, uh, the garbage industry? How did you well, first my, get my brother, there? My father, my father says, she, he, my father had five sons and he says he demands that is gonna be civil service, yeah. no matter what. Because one day you're gonna get old and they'll give you a few dollars every week and you'll still be able to buy food and stuff. Mm -hmm. So my father says, I want civil service for my sons. Uh-huh, and all of them are like police officers or, or in the, like you were saying, civil service, you ended up in... Uh... Oh, all my brothers, they could see. Mm -hmm. And years ago, if you didn't have 20-20 eyesight, the police department wouldn't take you. Mm. And you had to be a minimum of five foot eight. Mm. Oh, really? Oh. I didn't know that. You had to be five eight, mm -hmm. you had to have 20-20 eyesight, mm -hmm. and you had to have a clean record. If you were ever locked up or arrested, mm -hmm. they wouldn't take you. So when the police department came, I says, that's out for me because I can't see shit. Uh -huh. So my father says, I'm going to take you to the doctor and get special glasses. And this way, when I tell you stand there, you, you could see it. I says, gee, that'd be great. Because we had no money. It was harder. Even if the glasses was $2, it 
it was hard to get that two dollars. A lot of people didn't have two dollars. So my father bought me these special glasses. I couldn't see shit. So I went close to the board when the guy was looking and I memorized the third line from the bottom. I says, that should be enough to pass. So he called me up. He says, come up here. Close that. I says, A, C, E, E, Kuriyerai. He says, boy, you did great. Can you read the fourth line? The fourth line was bigger. I says, no. I, I didn't study that one. I, I, I didn't think he was going to air. I said, just read the lowest you can. So I did the third line. I figured, that's it. I passed. I'm in. But it, he, he says, no, I want you to read the, f the fourth and then the fifth line. I says, how come you want me to do that? I read almost the last line. He says, no, you got, you got to read that too. I think you studied it. I got caught. But the sanitation, you had to take a physical test. You had to be very strong. You had to lift up 80 and 80. With each, but I was only 16 years old. You had to do 80 and 80. You had to sit up with uh, 65 pounds behind your, behind your neck. If you had any aches and pains, you can't do that. They wouldn't take you. Wow. And then you had a broad jump, eight foot six. Holy moly. That was 50% of the test. And the other 50% was written on it. You had to know about trucks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew I knew a lot about trucks and cars. So I got, uh, they did 80 and 80. And I broad jumped eight foot six. And I set up with 65 pounds behind my back. He said, very good. My brother, my brother took the test with me because he gave me encouragement, he says. I'm going to encourage you, don't worry, I'm going to tell you, you could do it, you could do it, you could cheer him on. Mm -hmm. And he cheered me on, you could do it, 80, you could do it, 80, 80, you could do it. I, I was up much more than 80 myself, I, I, maybe it was 110 pounds. Yeah. Wow. Now you had a broad jump eight, and then they made you run around the track, and you had to carry the bag, run there, and you had 10 seconds, run there, run back. And then run there, to, if you got tired, you were out. Incredibly demanding job, is basically. Huh? It's an incredibly demanding job, is basically what I'm oh, hearing. Yeah. The average guy on a sanitation, when, when I got called for the sanitation, they put you in, you gotta go two weeks to Randall's Island. Mm -hmm. They teach you how to drive the truck, how to dump the truck, you gotta back in between the cones. If you knock a cone down, you're out. You're out. Wow. They ain't gonna take you if you're gonna make an accident. Oh, yeah, that's the last 40 thing. years, I never had an accident. Wow. That's I was very thing. careful. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because I could fill out the paper. <laughs> so I had to be very careful. Uh huh. Very careful. Yeah. But the average guy, when, when 50,000 50, people took the test, and out of 50,000, 10,000 passed. Now, I did a, before they send you on to the field, they send you two weeks to Randall's Island, back the truck up, come close to the cone. If you knock the cone down, get somebody else, they don't want you. Yeah. So out of the 10,000 that passed, half of my class was 200 guys, and when they send you out to the field one day, 
200 guys, 125 guys quit right there that first day. Wow. Mm -hmm. They couldn't pick up the basket. The basket is salt steel. It's about 75 pounds empty. Yeah. It's got to be heavy because if the wind blows, it might go in the street and somebody get an accident. Mm -hmm. So they put a double layer of steel on the bottom. Mm -hmm. The basket itself is 75 pounds. Now people, throwing all kinds throwing a, of things in a there. Construction job. He'll go there at night and fill that up. Maybe make it two, three hundred pounds. You got to empty that. The boss comes by and checks with the searchlight. Did you empty everything? They watch the go down the block, make sure you emptied all the garbage cans. Wow. They were nuts. When did you first hear about, like, the Teamsters? When did they first... Um... Well, you know, years ago, there was no union. Yeah. yeah. It was John DeLore. John DeLore was... The local leader? The, the president of the 231. Oh, okay. John DeLore. So you didn't have to join the union. Yeah. It was volunteer, so we were making maybe $30 a week. An average guy can't want to pay $2 a week union dues. Yeah. You're, not, you're not taking much money home. Yeah. So a lot of guys says, I ain't, I don't want to join the union. I says, you know, I want to join the union because if, if I could make it on this job, I'm never going to leave. I could do that. I could pick them cans up. I could to tote that barge and lift that bale. <laughs> Get a little drunk and you land in jail. I could do it. I ain't never going to quit. Mm -hmm. And half of my class, the first day in the field, quit. Right yeah. there. Never came back. Yeah. So, so uh, when you joined the union, did you see uh, your working improvements? Did you see your working conditions improve? Well, the, the union was important because if you didn't like the guy that was in charge and he didn't like you, he'd take you up on charges. For anything. And he'll make up something. Yeah. He'll make up something. Now they call you in the office, tell you to pack your stuff and go home. Who are you going to call? Who's going to fight for you? Nobody's going to fight for you. And the union was. But the union will fight with you. Do you think that unions work? The union works. Without a union, you're finished. That's my opinion. Yeah. I still get the, I still get the USA. More than 60, more than 60 years, every, every month I get the USA with the union information. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to watch your back because if the if the other guy that don't like you and he makes a promotion, now he becomes your boss. He's got a vendetta about you. Mm -hmm. He could write anything he wants on the report. You don't have to see it. You see, when he writes the report, he's supposed to make you read it and sign it. Mm -hmm. This way, you know that this guy's trying to take your job away. So after work, you're going to wait for that guy and cut his throat. So then they says, we're not going to do that no more. Just let the guy fill out the report. They call you downtown to where the, where the, the trial is. I, went, I had to go to trial many times. They got the photographer there, and you're nervous. And um, I, a lot of guys I worked with were crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of guys needed a job. and. Who's going to take that job? Only the guy that's a little bit nuts. Yeah. The recording stops here as the local mailman comes to my grandfather's door. After about a 20-minute conversation with this mailman, my grandfather returned to the kitchen. 
We take back up the recording in the middle of a conversation. My grandfather is discussing the intense work requirements for being a garbage man in New York City. If you've heard of 16 and a half tons for coal miners, try 20 tons for a garbage man. So this was 20 tons of garbage you needed to haul into your, your, your truck? They weigh your truck at the end of the day, man. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, they weigh your truck. When you go to the dump, you go on a big scale. Mm -hmm. And if you don't make the 20 tons, they take $3. That's a big fine. That's a lot of money. So let's you're say you do. Making only $35 a week. Like you were let's saying. say like you're making, uh, you, you did 18 ton. Yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back. I'll go back. Give me another chance. Why should I give up $3 now? Yeah. I work so hard. That's insane. So you ran down the street like an animal. You made sure that your numbers were covered. Is this before the union or even with the union? These uh, Even with the, the union. You know stated. something, when the union came, the union had an agreement with the city because you had to do your numbers from 1 to 150. That's called your route. Uh -huh. You had to do your numbers, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So we had old trucks and the trucks go out like a day like today. It's 95 degrees. After you're working that truck for three hours, it's going to overheat. Yeah. Now you're not gonna make your now you're not gonna make your numbers. And you can't really control that. I mean that's just You got no control of that, but the union says they didn't want to fight with the city, so the union says if you break down for two hours, make it up. I don't care what you do. Make it up. And you know what I used to do? I used to hire I wanna get it twenty hours. You gotta you gotta get the thumb time. I would hire a kid from the neighborhood, and I'd give him $5 to roll out. He would roll everything out in the middle of the street. And I'd run down the street, I could dump it faster than he could roll it out. That's funny. And one time the boy, well, I called him Charcoal. He was only a kid, what a nice kid, a little black kid. So one, one time the boss came and he seen Charcoal rolling out for me. Mm -hmm. So Charcoal got nervous. I opened the door, he got in the truck, and he went under the seat. <laughs> and the boss says, pull the truck over, I want to check you out. I said, all right, come on, check whatever you want. He put his hand like this under the seat. It's filthy there, so Charcoal was high. <laughs> I would like to meet that kid one time. Yeah, that would be amazing if we could track him down. If you're listening to this. Baby, uh, you had to show. do your numbers. If the truck broke down for two hours, you had to make that up. The mm -hmm. union made an agreement. Yeah, no matter what. No matter what, you had to make it up. It's a lot like coal mining. I, I, I don't know if you know about coal mining. You know the song, you load 16 tons. Yes, of course it's, I know it. It's the same thing. It's like uh, it's very similar. I mean, uh, coal miners were forced into Hauling. Coal, coal miners is worse, but Yeah, it's way worse. Now you're down in a hole, you can't breathe. And you're breathing in, you're breathing in the, the soot constantly. Yeah, it's all See, in with the lungs. sanitation, it's, they're supposed to give you a mask, but they don't. Mm -hmm. They don't never, oh, they steal that money. The guy's in the office. Maybe they'll get $100 to buy a case of masks. They'll split it up for coffee money until you go out there. Because... Yeah. 
in the projects, in the projects, everything is burnt. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to pick up maybe 1,500 cans of residue. There's nothing that's going to hold that residue down. Nothing. Yeah. If it's a little bit of wind, yeah. in two minutes, you're going to be completely covered yeah. with residue. You got to do it. You got to... And any one... Before you make a transfer, you I, I always used to go to see if there's any projects there, mm -hmm. because that means you got to work eight hours in a project taking residue, mm -hmm. no mask. You got to make it. Each can is about maybe three hundred pounds, so you got two guys and you got to go like this. You got to be as fast as you can. You're and you're breathing time. hard, breathing in you're all breathing this hard. And, You know, yeah. one time there was a, one time there was a strike. And uh, let me see, I, I worked in Queens, in, in the village, there was a strike. So all the black guys got together, and they said, we're not going to let the sanitation guys come and pick up the garbage, because we want to make the news. Uh -huh. Now the boss tells you, go over there and pick up the garbage. Yeah, you can't really do anything. There was four or five guys on a roof with sniper rifles. Oh my God. As soon as we backed the garbage truck in, Boom, 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 boom. I says, we got to get out of here. Holy moly. So they would send a cop with each truck. Go back. Go back and pick the garbage up. They and, didn't care. And this is all while New York City is completely broke. You can't even cash your checks. Nobody was allowed to cash their checks. That's baby. insane. 25 cents. The city uh, got charged from the uh, banks. 25 cents for now that's 350,000 people. You got the cops, the fire, the sanitation, yeah. the park department, the highway department. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of employees. Yeah, and it's either like don't cash your checks or we need to let go of like tens of thousands of, of you know police officers and and, and hospital employees. Well, I mean, look and at stuff. today, baby. The, the other day, if you seen the news, half of the Police station went in and resigned. Mm. They they're tired of they're tired of if you do your job you get locked up and go to jail. Mm -hmm. If you hit somebody, now my brother uh, my brothers was on the police department for many years because you know if you lose your wife you want to stay there as long as you can. What are you yeah. going to do home alone? Yeah. So my brother, you were allowed to carry this stick at night. Mm -hmm. But you were not allowed to use the stick. Mm -hmm. the call, it's called a night stick. Yeah, night stick. It's a big bat about that big. And you could send a message on the street. So you could go in the middle of the, the, middle of the road and you could tap a code. Mm -hmm. And the cop on the next beat knows that you're in trouble. Oh. Like Morse code? Morse code, you're yeah. going, and not, it was quiet, so now you had this big black stick, and you go on the middle of the street, and you tap the code, the cop knows you're in trouble, it's four or five guys going to wake you over, so he's got he's to do all he can to get there, if he don't like you, he'll make believe he didn't understand yeah, it. Yeah, that's what happened with, what, Serpico, right? Serpico, they set him up. Yeah, yeah, the police that's set him true. up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is an interesting uh, segue, so... I mean, you're talking about corruption, basically, in, in the police department. Did you notice any corruption as a, a teamster? Was there any graft? Well, I mean, what are you going to steal, the garbage? Yeah. I used to work with a guy. See, years ago, you carried a big apron because the, the uniform 
They only gave you like $50 a year to buy the uniform. Now you're picking up garbage can and you're running fast. You're going to wear out. it easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you put on an apron this way. And a guy used to carry an apple in his pocket. And when there was four or five people on the corner, he would dump the garbage in. And he says, look at this, what I found. And he would take the apple out of his pocket and start eating. And the people say, Jesus Christ, that guy's nuts. He just took, <laughs> he just took it out of the garbage. I seen him eating it. I seen him. <laughs> In the following section of interview, we discuss a litany of topics. They include racism against Italians, the illegal copper mongo trade that took place in New York City during the 70s, and the introduction of women into the workforce. My grandfather was against this, but not for the reason you'd expect. No, I would I would have never left, baby. I remember you telling me one story. This guy would collect copper and he would try and like Mongo. Yeah. He would collect copper and he would try and sell it at the like a Mongo, baby. Everybody did it. Uh -huh. Because you didn't make much money. Yeah. And how did that work? So so you'd see like if you found people show a lot of Christmas wires out. Mm-hmm. They show maybe a hundred feet of Christmas wires. You grab it, put it in a little bag, and put it on the side of the truck. If you came to your car, you threw it in the trunk. Or if you got caught, you got suspended. Mm -hmm. You weren't allowed to do that. And you didn't get a lot of money for this. Well, maybe you got maybe you got five cents a pound. Yeah, so not not too much. You know, you had a you had to get fifty dollars. You had a hustle by the end of the week. Yeah, and that detracts from the amount of trash you have in, in the back of your truck. Oh, no, no, you gotta finish, you gotta do your tons, baby. Mm -hmm. no, no matter yeah. what you get. Mm -hmm. You gotta do your route. Mm -hmm. That's that's number one. Yeah. They'll fire you in a heartbeat. So if you could change one thing about today's employee slash employer relationship, what would it be? Well, I believe, I believe in a union, baby, because the guy behind the desk, once he gets that promotion, mm -hmm. see, everybody's on the same level. And then once a year, they'll come out with, with an opening. They need, a, they need a foreman or an officer. Mm -hmm. So now you put your, you want to take, take your test, they'll give you four hours off. You go to New York for the class. And now you got to write 100. If you write anything less than that, you don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. So this guy that you're working with for 10 years, he hates your guts. He makes the promotion. He's going to be looking for you. So he's it, going to be on your neck every second. Mm -hmm. Every second he's going to be on your neck. And some guys, some guys don't take it. So they take everything into their own hands. Mm -hmm. They wait across the street in a lot. You know, when you wake up four to twelve, it's dark at night. You can't see anybody there. All of a sudden, something happened, but nobody knew nothing. So do you think unions? They mitigate violence. They prevent a lot of violence from actually happening. I think the union, in my opinion, the union is essential. Yeah, it's like the bare minimum that should be. You need somebody. You need somebody to be able to talk for you because when, when you went on trial, it was called the kangaroo court mm. because they already knew what they, you were going to get before you ever even went there. Mm -hmm. They knew that they knew you were going to get three months without pay or six months. That's a killer. 
Yeah. If you got a wife and a kid, you know that's a killer. How you gonna how you gonna pay that bills that month? Mm -hmm. Now, if this guy that I worked with all ten years and he, all of a sudden he got promoted, he's gonna be looking for me. You know what we used to do to the to the the, the, the foremans at night? We used to put an X tape on the light on the on the lights, and when he was coming down the block, you would see the X tape on his headlights. And you gotta watch out, you know that's him. He's hiding down two blocks. He's waiting for you to make one mistake. Wow. Charge you 10 days, 20 days. My partner got six months. And that just destroys your livelihood. I mean, you, you have basically no way to make ends meet at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, some guys, uh, the guy I worked with, baby, he was a tough guy, baby. He would come to your house and straighten things out. <laughs> He would come to your house. Mm -hmm. One day, one day we got called in the office, and it was me and him, and I did everything I can to get along with him. He was a big, like a silverback. This <laughs> big dude. Yeah. And the guy, the boss called us in, and he says, I'm, I hate you. I hate brown eyes worse than poison. That's what he used to say every morning. Oh, my God. Yikes. He came right out and say it, 200 guys lined up. Mm -hmm. First thing he would say is, I hate brown eyes, voice them poison. It's because he was like a British dude or He hated like the that. Italians worse yeah. than anything. That's right. And he says, if I take you, if I catch you taking trash for cash, you're going to get a dash. And you're going to get fired. Wow. And one time he caught me. And he couldn't believe it because... He couldn't believe it what I did. I went right down to the office and I knocked on his door. And I says, I know you're a bad guy. And I know you caught me and my team, but I want to put my cards on the table. The other guys had nothing to do with it. This was my idea. So if you're going to suspend anybody or fire any, let it be me. The other two guys had nothing to do with it. Wow. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. It you probably know? destroyed every stereotype he believed that you know Italians what he said? Like, Go out and finish the route. Wow. wow. Go out and finish the route. I says, I'm the one. I'm the one that forced these guys. They had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. I need a couple of dollars. I can't survive. I, I can't survive on this money. I can't do it. Yeah. And that's why everybody started saving Mongo. Yeah. If you if you get cop, a cop is white, maybe sixty cents a pound. Mm-hmm. A loaner's white, maybe seven cents. Yeah. So eventually that all adds up. If you're collecting all this trash that people think is trash and, and you're selling it at the If you if you if you do it right, I worked with a guy, his name was Alcoa. Alcoa the Alonaman King. <laughs> what a name. Here's our Cole. He used to carry axe in his pocket. <laughs> of course. Uh. You know, on every telephone, in every telephone, there's a, a piece of gold. On every telephone. I don't know about the new ones, but years ago, yeah. the telephones were heavy. The phone could, booths. Phone booth telephones, you mean. You could hit somebody on the head with that. Yeah, really. And he would damage. carry this axe. And when he came across the telephone, he would chop it. <laughs> And get that piece of gold. 
<laughs> Put it in his pocket. <laughs> At the end of the week, maybe he had 60 cents or something. <laughs> you had to get out of the way when he was swinging that axe. <laughs> yeah, it's just stuff flying all over the place. That's funny. Um, so to conclude this, do you think that uh, with the future, the way it is, are you worried about workers' rights? Are you worried about maybe. union rights? Without a union, the worker man is finished. Are you are you concerned that um, certain political parties maybe have uh, uh, a motive to get rid of unions? I mean, I know throughout the South, there's things like uh, right-to-work states. Well, in New Jersey, baby, they're not allowed to hire white guys to pick up the garbage. They're not allowed. Uh huh. I don't see why. I mean, if you need a job... Mm-hmm. You need a job. I worked with a guy who carried a bayonet on his leg. Wow. Guys were crazy. He carried it first thing in the morning before he put his pants on, he would take the bayonet this big Ooh. on his leg. Well, from he probably had that from the war, I assume. Or he just like acquired that somehow, the, the bayonet. He got it from like oh, the he, war. He carried it for safety. Oh my gosh. For safety. You know how many times a guy came out of the house and he says, move the garbage truck. I said, as soon as we're finished packing the garbage, we're going to move. We're only going to be here for a minute. He went in the house, got the gun, boom, 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 five, five or six shots at the garbage truck. <laughs> the guy was crazy. We had to run for our life. And we had to go back with the cops. The cop says, "Go back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bodyguard." The guy's nuts. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so just to, um, you said before that uh, New Jersey has some sort of law where they prevent. I don't know if that's any more today, but that was. Yeah, I, I think what you're referring to might be the uh, the New Jersey law against discrimination. It's a pro prohib. Uh, it's a prohibitive act against harassment based on actual or perceived race, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, identity or expression, uh, disability or any other physical characteristics. Well, so it doesn't actually prevent, I'll add this in the show notes just so everyone can look at this. It doesn't prevent white people from being hired. It just, uh, baby, it makes it possible for people baby, to not discriminate against people. Sometimes they fix things. Oh, for sure. You know, when I was on a job about 30 years, they decided, they decided to change the license. The license used to be A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. A, you could drive a car. B, you could drive a truck. And C, you could drive anything. A Wayne Vroom. You had to be, you had to be qualified on everything. If they wanted you to do the Wayne Vroom today or the Flusher or dump loads all day, you had to be qualified. You can't say, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So now the city decided, we're going to change the, the, I had a chauffeur's license. I could drive anything, mm-hmm. trailer, truck, flatbed, anything. Now the city wanted your license back. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they were going to give you a different license. Uh, I forgot, uh, I turned mine in because it was too much money. Yeah. I could have kept going, but it was three or four hundred dollars a year I said I I can't spend that money why is it so much money to have a license for for, to drive a because you could drive anything baby yeah 
Okay, I see. And you got to go to school for that. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. when the when the city came down and says take all your license and give it to them, they were going to go to the city and have printed license with your name and give it to you back. I says, Jesus Christ, what if I don't pass that test? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to exactly. lose my job for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I lose my job. Yeah. So I told him, I says, you know something, is there any chance? I don't want to be under pressure here. I don't want to lose my job. Can I take this home and I'll bring it back? Yeah. They said, sure, I'll bring it back tomorrow. Uh -huh. So I made my daughter do it. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. She filled it out. She, my daughter knew all about trailers and that. PSI and you know that that if you're driving a truck and the PSI drops below 95 the truck stops no matter where you are all the wheels lock up nothing's gonna move that truck Wow. Mm -hmm. so that's why you gotta know you got two bleeders on each side of the truck you gotta bleed them to a certain pressure because the condensation of the air builds up condensation and the condensation mm -hmm. builds up rust and if the rust gets in that little hole it's not going to relieve the pressure every 15 minutes like it's supposed to mm -hmm. so there's a lot to learn so i told my daughter my daughter worked for a trucker she says oh well, I mean, this is easy mm -hmm. i said jesus all the black guys they say we ain't taking that test do what you want to do you want to fire us fire us we ain't taking that test. Mm -hmm. So they all went in the coffee room, maybe 50, 60 guys. Give me the resignation, we'll sign it right here. We're not taking that test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they called downtown and they says, we got a problem. Yeah. The black guys aren't working, they're not cooperating. They says, all right, tell them to wait there, we'll be right there. And they sent the big boss down to the coffee room and he says, we're going to take the test. Everybody agrees with this answer? Yes. You all got your license. <laughs> there you go. That's one way to handle a, a protest, I suppose. That sort of is a win-win for everyone, I think. I yeah. almost lost my job 30 years. Yeah. I says, you know, you forget these things. The, the, the PSI, the, the, uh, you forget all these yeah. things. Yeah. Then they came out, the city never, uh, Mack Truck never let the city buy Mack Trucks because they abused the trucks too much. Mm -hmm. So after a while, the, the city says they're gonna buy 500 Mack Trucks, one of the best trucks on the road. Now Mack Truck comes, it's got a, a, it's got a, a scale on the driver's seat. So you can keep track of it. And you put your weight in there this way, when you hit a bump, if you're 260, you're going to hit the bump easier than a guy that's 140. Uh -huh. So on the bottom of the chair, you, you turned your weight in there. Mm -hmm. We've never seen that before. Yeah. Whoever seen that, a Mack truck, pull a house down. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's so important to, to, to talk to you about this because I, I think it illustrates a, a few things. I mean, first of all, how how much things have changed, how much they're the same, but also how the perception of the American labor movement uh, is kind of really skewed. I think a lot of conservatives and even moderates think that unions are filled with 
you know, members of the mafia or communists. Uh, and you're neither of those things. You're certainly not a communist. Uh, no. No, you're not a communist. But, but whenever, the, whenever the union leader ran for, for, for appointment again, uh -huh. they sent two guys down with you. And they went in the boot with you. Yeah, so there was definitely corruption on all sides. I'm not saying that. Ah. I know the guy was about this much bigger than me. I says, where do you want me to make the mark? He said, hold it. Make, okay, make a mark. Then. Yeah. That's so, the way it is. The, the mafia is, the, is in charge. Mm -hmm. it's it certainly changed simple. since then, I, I, I hope at least. Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not with the, the, the Teamsters, perhaps? Well, almost 99% of the privates is mafia. Uh -huh. At least 99%. Wow. Wow. At least 99%. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an easy system to abuse, and it's, so, uh, it's such a powerful union that it's easy to sort of turn it on its head and, and make it into a very profitable business. Well, there's a lot of money in garbage, baby. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah, there's what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. You know, the landfill over here, when I first started the job a hundred years ago, the landfill that if you, when you pass a sud, uh, uh, the, the highway, the landfill is there, it's closed, it's been closed now for 20 or 30 years. But it's still but garbage. Yeah. When I first started, the dump was right there. You went in, you dumped when you went back. Uh-huh. Now there's you know, probably, who knows, maybe a trillion tons of garbage. Yeah. In fact, they're still in the gas because the garbage underneath ferments. The, the garbage ferments underneath and they drill a hole and put a pipe down there. Oh my God. And they sell that gas. <laughs> garbage fuel. Garbage mm. gas. I can't <laughs> wait to breed some of it. it <laughs> I miss it. So just uh, uh, end this talk. This has been really, this has been really good. It's been very illuminating. Uh, I hope it's been illuminating for everyone listening. Uh, do you think the future of unions is bright? Do you think that there's a chance for unions to sort of rebound in the past few years uh, since the time you're talking about uh, when you were working? Union membership and union rights have fallen precipitously. Uh, you could look through the South. You look through the Midwest, a bunch of states have uh, embraced right-to-work laws, which sort of negate union bargaining rights. Um, do you see uh, uh, a sort of change in the future? Do you think that well, union rights would, can come back? When the ladies, when they allowed the ladies to come on a job, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because let me tell you something. If you got to do 15 or 20 ton a day, I'll, I'll give you credit. And some of them ladies were silverbacks, mm -hmm. 260, 290. And they ran down the street. And I says, I hope to God that the day never comes when I get a lady on my truck. But the ladies start coming in. And one day I had a lady, you know, you can, if you got to do pee, you can't start Take me to the bar to do pee. You got you got a cup or something, and you did pee right there in the, yeah. in the cup in the truck, mm -hmm. and you chew it out. You can't afford to lose that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they put me with a lady one day, 
And I said, Jesus Christ, even if I got to pee, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So she says to me, I got to pee. Take me home. Take you home? You live 10 miles away. How are we going to make the 20 tons? I don't hours. care where. I don't care what you do. Take me home. <laughs> and she got in the truck and I took her home. <laughs> Did you still make your quota? I said, well, when we get back, we got to run. They're like, shit, you got to run with all you got. I'm not going to lose the few dollars because you had to pee. You should have peed before we left the garage. Uh, that's funny. Uh. Following that bombshell, we switch gears and begin to talk about modern politics. With the election soon approaching, the contest between uh, supposed Republican nominee Donald Trump and supposed Democratic nominee Joseph R. Biden is heating up. We discuss the two candidates. I make the case for Joseph Biden. He makes the case against him. His arguments surround the failed retreat from Afghanistan in 2021, which cost the lives of hundreds of American servicemen and saw the resurgence of the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, do you think there's a way I can convince you to vote for Joseph R. Biden? Never. 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 Not in a million I years. I know you like him, baby. Even though he's the most pro-union president since FDR. Baby, I wouldn't vote for I wouldn't vote for Biden for door catcher. <laughs> That's the way I feel. <laughs> Do you think he's too uh, old, baby? He's certainly very old. He's, he's making terrible old. mistakes. He yeah. left this country with with two hundred billion dollars of the most expensive war equipment in the world. They got new trucks, new cars. You're talking about Ukraine? Yes, they okay. got new cars, trucks, mm -hmm. billions of dollars. They left the soldiers there, two, three, four, five hundred soldiers mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. There's he, no reason why he could have did that, baby. He, If he wanted to evacuate, he could have started a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. How can you leave a helicopter there that costs... Five billion dollars. Oh wait, are you talking about Afghanistan? Yes, baby. What's, Afghanistan. You're talking what the about. soldiers did is they broke the windshield. Big deal. Okay. Where are they gonna get the parts? Do you see the equipment that they that they left there? Machine mm -hmm. guns, trucks, a uh, truck weight two, four, five hundred thousand yeah. dollars, hundreds and thousands of them. It's interesting because Trump said he was going to do the same thing. He also wanted to leave Afghanistan. But, yes. But he never did. I don't know if it was because well, of baby, political pressure. Trump, Trump was going to do it. I know you're a Biden fan. I'm, I'm not necessarily a Biden fan. I would vote for literally an empty bag of potato chips. Well, I, if it was I, like, the lady, I like the lady with the black hair. I think she's very, very good. Nikki I think, Haley? I think she's very smart. Yeah, she's, she's, she's not more afraid of the to talk. Ones. Yeah. Trump was going to take everybody out, baby, but he was going to do it gradually. Uh huh. If you got. They call them helicopters that get ten billion dollars each. There's yeah. only a few of them in the world. They got them all. Mm -hmm. We got none of them. They got them all. So the soldiers broke a couple of windshields. They don't know how to make the glass round. And then he left all them soldiers there. He left uh, four or five hundred American people there. How can he do that? These people are going to torture, torture them. Mm -hmm. 
You got to get the Americans out first. Get all the Americans first. It don't have to be be in one week or one month. Do it six months. Do it over the case of a year, mm-hmm. where they don't notice it. Take, send a ship over there. Put five or six, ten helicopters on it. We we're gonna paint them or something. Yeah. Take take it. Get out gradually. Mm-hmm. How can you leave all the American people there? That that was terrible, baby. Oh yeah, that was definitely a mess, and I don't know how you were. I don't think anyone was going to be able to do that in and a good these, way. Did you see these ladies on the news yesterday? That they put their son there and their daughter there, and a the guy threw the bomb and killed them. The president never even wanted to give a sympathy talk. Wow. For Christ's sake, they lost their son and their daughter, twenty years old. You mean to tell me that you can't take for, you're not paying for, he's not paying for the gas. How come his son goes all over with him? He's not an official on the, on the, on the airplane. How come he travels all over the world with his father? I mean, to be fair, Trump has been known to be a little bit nepotistic. He hires family members a lot. Maybe, no, no, that's, that's true. Yeah. I can't argue that. Yeah. Of course, you, uh, any man any man with a half a brain is going to take care of his family, mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. It's definitely hard with the hundred. You know, Biden when you're talking about friends, yeah, friends, love is no more. <laughs> but you're talking about family, baby. Yeah, a friend. You can make a friend, and they walk away one minute. And it's not a friend. The family is the family, baby. It's mm-hmm. the blood. Uh-huh. That's why it's it's hard for me to be super mad at Joe Biden for being super corrupt when it comes to his kid because anyone in that situation would probably do something similar if if their kid was in a really rough place they'd probably do a similar thing Joe Biden says he wants to open up a place where you could do drugs let them have their drugs what's the big deal let them have their drugs what about his wife he was with every prostitute what about his wife, God forbid, if he came home and he gave his wife something like she's an innocent girl. Yeah. He was with the prostitutes in the bathtub, flying, flying higher than a higher than a kite. And then he comes home and he, he goes to bed with his wife. Is that fair to her? No, not at all. If Hunter that was Biden's my daughter, story. he wouldn't make another step because I would go right there and cut his shoulder. Yeah. If you want to do that, take away, get away from your wife. Don't mm-hmm. put her in jeopardy. Okay. Don't put her in jeopardy. It's not fair. It's not a. It's not a disease where you can get a shot or two and you're better. Mm-hmm. It's not that kind of disease. Yeah, it's forever. Yeah. It's forever. Mm-hmm. Look at this guy. Uh, this crazy guy that. I can't think of his name now. He was on the show for he, he still his show was still on. He caught the the horrible disease and he popped everybody in the world. Uh-huh. He broke all the rooms in the hotel, fifty thousand dollars. He says, Don't call the cops, I'm paying and he paid fifty thousand dollars for the wow. damage. I'm not sure who you're talking about, but wait, are you, Jimmy Fallon is that who you're talking about? I'm not sure. He's he's very famous. He's got a He's still his show is still on. Okay. In fact, his father, mm. his father and his brother, fa- are famous. Okay. Yeah, but I'm... he's a wild man, baby. He's a wild man. 
He quieted down now that he got that. Who? The Baldwins? Well, one of the Baldwins, one of the Baldwins brothers, they live here, mm -hmm. out here. Yeah, I think Danny Baldwin mm -hmm. lives out yeah, here. Yeah, one of the Baldwins brothers died. They, they disowned him from the family. You know, it's possible that you could turn against your family. Anybody, anybody anything is possible today. Anything. All right. I think that that's a pretty good spot to stop. Do you have anything you'd like to say to the, the people at home? I just hope I don't end up in jail. No one throw my They're grandfather in jail, back. please. <laughs> we don't need that right now. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for coming on. Uh, God bless you. Please don't get me in trouble. I'm. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try my best. We'll. We'll. We'll see what we can do in in post production here. Uh, <laughs> um, I hope you all enjoyed this. I hope this uh, shed some light on the labor movement from someone who is genuinely a part of the labor movement uh, during a, a huge time of, of of change, and I hope it helps show that. The labor movement, far from being some left-wing radical thing, is actually very conservative and is probably more American than most things in this country. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. American labor is American. <laughs> That's right, baby. What are you going to do with the garbage? And, and just to reiterate the point, that's why uh, workers like garbage men people who work in state government, local government, people who work as police officers, they need union representation. I hope you enjoyed this talk with my grandfather. In spite of everything you have heard, my grandfather remains deeply devoted to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He considers him one of the greatest presidents in American history. Perhaps this has to do with nostalgia. He did grow up and was born in the middle of FDR's presidency. But perhaps this also has to do with FDR's policies, which were incredibly pro-worker. It was thanks to these policies that America was able to revitalize itself and face the challenge of fascism head-on. One of the many fighters against fascism in Japan was my great-uncle Dan. He was shot six times in the chest by fascist bullets in Okinawa. He was left for dead. Fascists came by his still body and pierced his back with a bayonet, checking if he was dead. In spite of the pain, my great-uncle refused to budge, lest he be stabbed again. He proceeded to crawl for a mile or more inland till he reached the closest Allied base and was finally saved from his ordeal. It was a great union of states and peoples which defeated fascism in all its forms. Without the sacrifice of working people, both on the battlefields and in the factories, America would never be great. Thank you all again so much for listening. I'm your host, Joseph Pascone. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. 
And if you've appreciated it and you've appreciated the time my grandfather spent to give it, please rate and review the podcast on your podcaster of choice.